Hello, this podcast is part of our tax podcast series. I'm Veronica McMahon, a senior technical specialist in our tax group. And today I'm joined by Erica Jupe, who heads the International Tax Practice Group in the UK. In this podcast, we're going to be looking at the statement from the OECD G20 Inclusive Framework on the 1st of July, confirming an agreed global solution to address the tax challenges arising from the digitalization of the economy. So Erica, before we get into the detail of what's been agreed, perhaps you could just put some background into why there was a need for any global agreement. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Stepping back, I think there are two high level issues at play here. The first is where international companies should pay their taxes. And then the second is what level of tax they should pay. On the first issue, there's been a long running debate about the level of tax companies should pay in jurisdictions other than their home country. Um, The OECD has for a decade or so been considering whether uh, our current international tax rules need to change to take account of new business models, um, and if so, how. This debate, I think, really stems from the fact that the current rules were designed in a different era before the digital economy was even thought of and were intended to tax non-resident companies only if they had a physical presence. So that's an office or local employees in another jurisdiction. Many digital businesses, however, can earn substantial revenues in another country without creating a physical presence there. So the question is, how should you determine when a business pays tax in another jurisdiction? The the second issue, so this is how much tax should a company be required to pay globally? Well, that's much more politically sensitive because that impacts on a country's ability to set its own tax rates and and tax rules. Um, the, The problem, I think, has come to the fore because many people feel that international businesses have been gaming Um, the differences in the international tax rules to reduce their global tax payments below what people regard as acceptable. Um, These issues can be exacerbated if the home jurisdiction does not pay tax on foreign profits. Uh, So, for example, that was effectively the case in the US prior to its international tax reforms in 2017. But profits um, are are treated as arising for the purposes of their rules in a low tax jurisdiction. And and this is often achieved by using complex licensing structures to shift profits to jurisdictions that impose little or no tax. And and that in turn means that those profits often escape taxation. Uh, Many jurisdictions also offer reduced tax rates to attract foreign investment, which, which can also create additional problems here. So, Overall, I think it was felt that the current international tax rules are no longer fit for purpose in a globalised digital economy. Um, I I think the other point just to mention here, just to set the scene, is that because um, these are international tax rules, it's been felt that it's hugely important to agree these rules internationally to avoid unilateral tax measures. Thanks, Erica. So, sort of picking up that point about the sort of the international level. So, what what's been happening at that international level to to bring us to to the point that we've reached today? So, the OECD and G20 has spent uh, the past decade really trying to come up with a solution to ensure that large multinational enterprises pay tax where they operate and earn profits, and not just in their home jurisdiction. And this project has the grand title of the inclusive framework on base erosion and profit shifting. And that term base erosion and profit shifting is is also uh, referred to as BEPS. 
So in October 2020, the OECD delivered blueprints for what they've called a two-pillar approach, which was followed by um, consultation and various meetings. And earlier this year, in 2021, on 5th of June, the G7, which, which of course includes the UK and the US, published a communique agreeing that the Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 approach was going to be followed. And that approach has now been developed further um, within the OECD and G20, i.e. a much wider group of countries, which um, includes about 140 nations and importantly also includes China. The result of this is, is a much more detailed statement on how the two pillars are going to be taken forward. And, and this has also now been endorsed by G20 finance ministers. Thanks, Erica. So, so you mentioned this sort of two pillar approach. Can you, can you briefly outline what, what pillars one and two are trying to achieve? Yeah, of course. Um, so turning first to pillar one, this concerns nexus, meaning what connection does a company have to have with a country to be to be liable to tax there and it also deals with profit allocation so this means you know what share of a company's overall profits are allocated to a particular country so what what these what pillar 1 is really trying to do is reallocate taxing rights over multinational enterprises away from their home jurisdiction to the markets where they earn their profits and those rules will no longer require the company to have a physical presence there. Pillar two uh, seeks to introduce a global minimum corporate tax rate. So this, the, the second pillar, pillar two, deals with the amount of tax the company will have to pay globally. So, so are those rules aimed at only the largest multinational companies? Uh, yeah, more or less, that's that's correct. Pillar one is, is aimed at the largest and most profitable multinational enterprises. I, it doesn't just apply to digital businesses. The companies likely to be in scope will be um, companies with a global turnover in excess of 20 billion euros and profitability profitability, uh, in other words, that their profit divided by their turnover of above 10%. So that means that the largest multinationals are likely to be in scope. And I think it's expected that about 100 of the world's biggest companies will be within the scope of Pillar 1. Pillar 2, so this is the one that ensures the minimum level of effective tax, doesn't have a profitability threshold, but applies to all multinational groups with a turnover exceeding 750 million euros. So this means that Pillar 2 is going to apply to a much larger uh, group of multinational companies. Um, and is it there expected to be any carve outs for, for certain um, entities or sectors? Yeah, I think it's expected that there are going to be some exemptions for specific entities or sectors. So, for example, um, at the moment, oil and gas extraction activities and regulated financial services are expected to be excluded from Pillar 1. Um, I think the UK in particular has lobbied hard for um, financial services to be excluded from the ambit of Pillar 1. On Pillar 2, certain types of entities, so, so for example, government entities, international organisations, non-profit organisations and pension and investment funds are, are, are expected to be excluded from its scope. 
Thanks, Arika. That's that's really helpful and certainly sets the picture that it's very much a global solution aimed at, at large multinational groups. So, so just turning to the actual 1st of July statement, can you tell me a little bit more about that, please? Yeah, so the statement very much supports the two pillar approaches um, outlined in the blueprints that, that were published by um, the OECD in October 2020 and then builds on the communique that was issued by the G7 in, in June of this year. Um, as I mentioned, the statement's now also been endorsed by G20 finance ministers. I think probably the most significant point is that the statement has now been signed by 132 out of the 139 members who are signed up to the um, inclusive framework. There are a, a small number of member countries haven't yet signed, uh, and those include Ireland, Hungary, Estonia, Barbados, Kenya, Nigeria and Sri Lanka. But the, com the countries that have already signed up represent about 90% of glo global GDP. So it's, I think it's a very significant agreement. Um, the, the OECD has said that it's confident that the seven members who've not yet signed will eventually be part of the deal. And I think there's a, a strong call from the G20 finance ministers um, that, that remaining members should um, sign up to the new rules as soon as possible. And, and what's been agreed in the statement as to how the pillars will actually operate? Yeah, so, so pillar one um, will give market jurisdictions the right to tax um, the largest multinationals. And, and just to recap there, so those are um, entities whose global turnover is 20 billion euros or more with profitability of over 10%. And, and what the rules will do is um, allow 20 to 30% of their residual profits to be allocated to, to market jurisdictions. Um, those taxing rights, however, will only arise where the multinational um, has profits of at least 1 million euros in the market jurisdiction. But, but that figure, that threshold figure is reduced to 250,000 euros for countries with a GDP, which, which is lower than 40 billion euros. So really aimed at developing nations. Under Pillar 2, so this is the global minimum corporate tax proposal, countries are going to be required to impose a top-up tax, this is the so-called income inclusion rule, on the parent entity of, of the multinational um, to make up for the tax of their low of, um, subsidiaries and low-tax jurisdictions. If a multinational enterprise is headquartered in a country that does not impose a top-up tax on the parent company, then under the uh, a subsidiary rule, so this is the under tax payment rule, the um, market jurisdiction can deny deductions or require an equivalent adjustment on the subsidiary's profits. Thanks, Erica. So, so it does look like we're moving in the right direction for a globally agreed solution, but, but do you see any stumbling blocks along the way? Yes. Um, well, I, I suppose the first point to mention is that the July statement is is only five pages long, as compared with the OECD blueprint documents, which ran to over 450 pages. And, and the devil is always in the detail here. Um, so I think although at high level there is an agreed solution, I think there's a lot of detail, for example, carve-outs, how source profits are going to be determined, um, which are going to have to be finalised, and, and particularly the implementation of these rules has still to be agreed. Um, 
so picking up a couple of points there, the statement says that um, all domestic digital services taxes, so these are unilateral measures which have been um, implemented by various jurisdictions, most notably UK and France, that the, um, the rules envisage that all those domestic taxes have to be removed for all companies, not just those which are in scope of the new rules. Also, I think if we look at the proposal for the global minimum tax rate, there's likely to be resistance from countries whose corporate tax rates are, are lower than the suggested 15% minimum rate. And I think a good example here is Ireland. Um, now, following the 1st July statement, Ireland issued its own press release expressing broad support for the OECD's proposals but subject to a reservation about the rate of the global minimum rate being at least 15%. And, and just some sort of, uh, you know, more, more practical thoughts here. Whilst it's been incredibly encouraging that US has been part of the process uh, and, you know, was a signatory to, to the G7 communique and, and the G20 proposals, um, any implementing le legislation in the US would need to pass through Congress. And, and that's by no means a certain process, given that the Democrats have a, a narrow majority in both the House and the Senate at the moment. Um, some commentators have also questioned whether it's really achievable to agree pillar one and pillar two approach at the same time and that's obviously the OECD's favoured approach but um, particularly pillar two may be more difficult to agree because there are undoubtedly going to be winners and losers you know and, and we've already mentioned Ireland there as a country which would have to um, raise its domestic tax rate in order to comply with the rules. Indeed. So, so some summing box aside, what have the OECD said about timing and next steps? Uh, so the G20 statement confirms that they're expecting remaining issues to be resolved um, by October 2021, so, so later this autumn. The, the aim is then for the rules to be implemented in 2022 and then come into force in 2023. Which isn't which isn't long at all, is it? So, so what should those large multinational companies who think they might be in scope of either pillar one or two? What they sh what should they be doing over the next eighteen months or so? Um, well, I think at the moment it's still a case of watch this space, really, because um, it, it's a very ambitious timetable to get all of the open questions resolved and an implementation effective within eighteen months. I think it's still uh, I think it's safe to assume that the destination is set and that we're going to see some form of change, but quite what the detail of that change is going to be, I think is still open. I think looking at um, large UK multinationals who may be in scope, they really need to start evaluating the impact of the new rules on where they pay taxes and, and to start considering what checks and processes they may have to put in place to comply with the new rules, you know, assuming that the rules do come into force in 2023. Thank you, Erica, for all that. I think, think that's all we have time for now. I'm, I'm sure we'll come back to it as, as the issue you know, progresses and the final details progressed. Um, it is a particular tricky subject and many thanks, Erica, for your, for your insight on, on the subject. Um, and that is goodbye for now.